James was a delightful, lively, uh, good-looking, funny, cheerful, mainly 19-year-old who was had just completed his first year of university at Brighton University. He was uh, he wanted to be a primary school teacher, and he would have made a an extremely good primary school teacher. He always had that vocational feel around children, particularly young children. So he was a uh, yeah he was he was very happy in himself at that particular time of his life. It was July 2005 and James was home for the summer from university and he'd gone out for an evening with his friends. He'd gone to Kingston for the evening with his old college friends actually to meet up with them. And he had said to me before he went he may not be back home that, that night, which wasn't unusual if he'd gone out with his pals and maybe gone out for a couple of drinks he might stay over with a friend. And at the end of the evening the group of friends split up to get taxis home and um, it transpired later on that neither group knew that James wasn't with the other and the alarm was raised the following day when nobody could get hold of him during the day. As soon as I was told that they'd been near the riverside at Kingston the night before, I had a, a mother's instinct that something awful had happened to him and unfortunately that proved to be the case because he was recovered from the Thames three days later. I had a very strong urge to see where he spent his last moments at Kingston and very soon after um, he was recovered we were taken to Kingston by police liaison officers and saw that there were no uh, safety um, things in place at the riverside at that time. There was a sheer drop from the edge of the uh, walkway at the back of the nightclub where James had been um, and there was very poor lighting and things like that. And this, So the first thing that we did and the first focus that I really had to start to work along in that grieving process was to work quite closely with Kingston Council. We worked with them for a total of three years in the end to institute safety measures at the Riverside, which are still there today. And it's one of those very proud things in, in the legacy of losing James that I know that the work that we did in conjunction with Kingston Council, representatives of the police and of the RNLI at the time, um, were something that would prevent loss of life in the future. It's not something that can be quantified, but that was the start of my campaigning, if you like, for drowning prevention and, and better water safety measures around around water. A big tool for, for me in, in beginning to try to process and work through the grieving process it was writing. I've always written for leisure and pleasure, and I never imagined that ultimately I would land up writing two bereavement support books. Um, the first book, Into the Morning Light, was published in 2014 and that's what led to my connection with the RNLI because one of the helmsmen at Teddington saw some local press about the book and contacted me and said, was I aware of the changes that had happened at Kingston over the years? And of course I was. And he asked me if I'd like to become involved with the RNLI's Respect the Water campaign 
um, which I started doing in 2014. And one of the most seminal and important things that I discovered about working with the RNLI was the importance of sharing personal stories because of the way it gets the message across uh, that puts it, it plants it into people's minds I think and that year the text around James's story was printed on the beer glasses that went out in the pubs and clubs around Kingston and Richmond around that part of the Thames and I remember um, one of the members of staff at the RNLI telling me how much the focus group had responded to that personal story and the impact of telling that story um, was what made really made a difference and, and when you're an individual and you hear that something you're doing is making a difference like that it's a very very important um, legacy for somebody to leave and that continued on um, during the the ensuing years, I was asked to do various presentations to the RNLI about dealing with grief and supporting people through bereavement and how, as a professional, you can deal with people who've just lost someone. And ultimately, that, that sort of came together to produce my second book, book uh, in 2019, Living in the Morning Light. And I, I refer to it as the morning light because I think that you can be in the darkest of dark places but you can still find joy and light moving forward over a period of time. The Throwbag Initiative is something else that came out of what happened to James. I think one of the difficulties uh, when somebody enters the water unintentionally, uh, if it's late at night and there's no one around, maybe it's so difficult to know whether whether he could have been helped but if at that time there had been a throw line I think that that is something that could have been a significant factor in being able to save him then and it's very difficult looking back and thinking you can't go through life looking back and thinking what if this and what if that you have to stop yourself doing that because otherwise you go, you go crazy but I think that the Throwbag Initiative is another very, very important preventative measure. And also, I think that young people generally now probably communicate better than they did in 2005. They're, obviously, the mobile phones are better. Um, that was something else that these days, the, 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 it's very easy to track a signal on a mobile phone. It wasn't in 2005. And the, the general communication and looking out for each other not that his friends didn't look out for each other, but the, the technology to um, allow for that is better than it was then. One of the key things I've learned about the RNLI since I've been involved with them, apart from the fact they're the most wonderful bunch of people to work with because they have huge amounts of empathy and uh, are incredibly supportive of each other and everybody who works with them, is that their remit, their scope is far wider than I first envisaged them as an emergency service who are called out to help people when they're in difficulties in the water. And their scope goes beyond, way beyond that. I think um, their preventative side has come out, particularly since my involvement in 2014 when Respect the Water was in its infancy and was just a, a, a small, it was a national campaign, but a small campaign and it grew and grew and grew. 
um, along with, with other campaigns, with other organisations, and they've developed a very proactive and collaborative approach with other organisations, which I think is, again, key. It's putting all this information together and taking it out there and, and really emphasising how we can enjoy water but have really have that respect for it, however innocuous it looks. It can take a life so quickly. Everything I do honours James's memory um, and I think that he would be amazed by the attention that, that it all got, you know, certainly from the outset. Um, and I like to think that he would be very proud that all this time on, because it is a long time, it's over 17 years now since he died, but that those memories don't fade. Um, you never get over the loss of a child, you learn to live with it. Um, and I, I, yeah, ultimately I think he would be very proud of, of, of how we keep his memory alive and how continuing to, to tell his story um, helps other people to realise how important it is to have that respect for the water. Hello, it's Phil Coulter here. You've been listening to part of the RNLI's 200 Voices collection. To hear more remarkable stories, head to rnli.org 200 Voices or subscribe to the RNLI wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Two Hundred Voices is an adventurous audio limited production for the RNLI.